Well, I don't know how your Christmas Eve started, but I hope at least thus far with your time with us this evening, it has become a little bit more divine. In the whole calendar year, this is my favorite night. And yet, for most of my adult life, I never decorated my house or apartment for Christmas. I was one of those people where I lived alone, and so what was the point? It was just for me. I never put up a tree, I never hung stockings, I never did any of the traditional Christmas decoration. And it wasn't because I was, you know, kind of a scrooge about it all, I just didn't see the point. And when I got married, I learned from my wife of the many things that I've learned from my wife. It's a long list and a short marriage. But one of the things that I learned was how important Christmas decorations are. You see, we have gone kind of from one extreme to the other, from my very Spartan home to a very fully decorated Christmas wonderland in our house with every color of the rainbow. And at first I thought it was a little over the top and a little silly, but I indulged it because why not? But what I've learned and what I've noticed is I pass through our living room and you see the tree illuminated with all of the lights and all of the ornaments that each have a story from a trip taken or from a moment in time, a picture of a child when she's two or five, a little handprint. What I've learned is as I pass by this tree, it draws me back to the story again and again and again. It's an anchoring, it's a tethering of what this season is all about. Because as we all know, and as you've heard before, it's so easy in this busy rush of a season to get distracted, to get caught up in all the things that are happening or all the things that you hope to happen and all the things you're trying to guarantee will happen. And every time I'd pass through the living room, I'd see the tree and it would just bring me back. Now for you, because I've spent time in many of your homes, especially over the holidays, I know you too have trees, proudly and prominently displayed in kind of the main living area of your house, right? Whether you call it the family room or the main room or the living room, for some reason, and I have a suspicion why, that seems to be the place where we put, want to put a tree. Now, we also have many people here probably tonight who have trees in lots of other rooms of your house as well right? You put it in the front window so you can kind of impress the people that drive by or be the subject of judgment as people drive by as to what your display tree looks like. Because typically the display tree is not the tree with all the presents underneath it. I was talking to a buddy at the beginning of the Christmas season where Thanksgiving had just finished. And I said, how's the Christmas decorating going? And he said, well, we're kind of at a standstill. And I said, why? He said, well, my wife wants to put a tree in every room of the house. And I said, okay. And I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I only want to put a tree in the living room. I said, okay. And so I checked in with him like about a week later and I said, so what happened? He said, we compromised. We put a tree in every room of the house. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, that's probably the right answer. That's how you stay married, I guess. But the way that we treat our trees is different than the way that we treat the Christmas story. And I think we make a mistake in the way that we tell the Christmas story. We had a family nativity service 
at 2 o'clock. And in that telling of the Christmas story, we made the same mistake. And I think if we continue to make this mistake, which has been handed down year over year, it will cause us to miss the very best part of Christmas. And at least for this year, I don't want us to miss the very best part of Christmas. So if you will permit me, I'd like to read you the Christmas story and point out the mistake that we made and show us a different way to experience the Christmas story so that we get all of the very best parts. This version of the story that I'm reading comes from Luke's gospel in the second chapter. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the story we tell. But I was having a conversation with a dear friend a couple of weeks ago about this very particular scene in the Christmas story. And she was asking me some questions about it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to have to get back to you. And so I began to do a little research. And I began to dig. And what I've learned is that the word that Luke uses for in actually has a couple of different meanings. And in fact, Luke uses this same word for in in other places in his gospel, in particular in the story of the Good Samaritan, where Luke talks about how there is an inn and an innkeeper. But the word he uses there is a different Greek word than the word he uses here. And in fact, this specific Greek word that we translate as in, Luke uses at the end of his gospel when it says that Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room. That's how it's most commonly used in the Gospels, to describe a guest room, an upper room in someone's house. And so why in this instance, if there is a different word that more accurately means an inn or a hotel, why would Luke not use it? I think the reason is because Luke never intended to tell a story about Mary and Joseph trying to find room in an inn. What was most likely the case was Mary and Joseph were headed, just like everybody else was because of the census, back to their place of birth, and they were looking for someone's guest room, an upper room, designed in the way that all first century homes were designed in that way. There was a main room, and then there was a room above it where the family lived, And then back behind that would have been a guest room or maybe out on the patio on the rooftop would have been the place that they would have had available for people. But as Mary and Joseph enter into the town, all of these guest rooms are filled. All of these upper rooms have occupants in it because of the census. And so most likely, 
Mary and Joseph found themselves in the middle of the house. I actually have a photo of what this first century house looked like. As you can see, the main area is where they would store things, produce, supplies, tools. It was also where they would do their cooking. And in fact, it would be the place where at night they would bring in some of the animals. This, on this first floor location, was likely where the manger, the feeding trough for the animals, was located. And so this was most likely the place where they laid the baby Jesus. In the midst of the commotion and the chaos and the uncleanliness and the busyness of a family's life, they burst through the front door, spilled out into the middle of the living room, and this is where the Christmas story begins. Not somewhere else in a barn in the back of the property or down and around the corner, up on a hill like we see images of, far away and removed from the busyness of everyday life. But right in the middle of it all, right in the middle of the action and the noise and the chaos of the crying babies and the sleepless nights and the dogs that get scared of thunder and so they're pacing the house as well. In the midst of all of that, this is where we find the baby. And so with that image in mind, let me continue the rest of the story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. In the middle of a living room, in the middle of this home, this is where the shepherds discover the baby that is born. And the angels proclaimed a message to the shepherds saying that it would be good news of great joy. But I think the mistake that we make with the Christmas story is we keep it secluded separated from the rest of our lives. We don't do this with our trees. Your tree is right in the middle of the action. It reminds you of the story again and again. None of you have a tree hidden in your closet or lit up and placed in the garage or in the shed in the back. This is not where we keep our trees. No, we put them right in the middle of everything. And that's why 
realizing that the baby was born right in the middle of everything. Such great news. It's great news because that means that God came down to us to be with us in the middle of all of our mess, in the middle of our busy lives, in the middle of the commotion, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all of the ways that our life isn't as organized as we wanted it to be or we weren't expecting company and so we didn't clean up in the right way or the right manner or our life is a little messy. This, this is where God chooses to come because that's what love looks like. Love doesn't require you to get your act together. Love doesn't require you to get all of your ducks in a row. Love comes right on in, right into the middle, because it's willing to get its hands dirty. It's willing to be present. And that's why it's such great news, because it's not off at a distance. It's not waiting for us to do a certain set of things or to go out and find it, to discover it on our own. But it's just right there, right in the middle of our lives as they are right now in this moment. And for some of us, this is one of the things about this Christmas story that just is hard to accept. We like a manger up on a hill. We like our distance when we get to be in control, when we get to choose the time and the place that we show up and interact with the Christmas story or invite God into our story, we like the distance from the manger. We'll come in once a year, sing the songs, light the candles, and then we'll get back to being in control. But that's, that's not the story. That's not what God does. God is right here in our midst. And for others of us, we're so glad to know this detail because we've never had the perfect story. We've never had the picturesque life, making all of the right choices, doing all of the right things. And so it is good news of great joy because God's coming to us as well. This is the part of the story that I'm most grateful for because it's the part of the story that touches my life the most sure you get to see somebody stand on a stage and talking to a microphone but to my best ability I'm not able to keep my life perfect and spotless and so to know that God comes in the middle of a mess like me too what a gift and so my friends I don't know where you've previously placed the manger I don't know if it's up on a hill or tucked in a closet you interact with it when the season comes around. But my hope is that we'd all change the details of the Christmas story and recognize that God is with us today. And God has come to be with us every day, right in the middle, right in all of the details, right in all of the ways our lives aren't as perfect as we want them to be or aren't as perfect as we tell others they are. At Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Not God off in the distance, watching us, making sure we get everything right. Not God silently judging us, waiting to catch us in the act. Not God unaware, inattentive. 
Not God silently cheering us on, but not actually all that present. The Christmas story is the celebration of Emmanuel, of God with us. When God came down and took on human flesh in the form of a baby, right in the middle of it all. So my friends, I hope as we hear this Christmas story tonight, it'll change how you experience God. That you'll become more aware of God's presence in your life today and tonight and in the days that come. Because now it's not up to us. It doesn't matter how good we are or how bad we've been. We now get to be with God who loves us enough to come right into the middle of it all. And that, friends, is good news of great joy for all people. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a couple more songs together. Would you join me? Heavenly God, we are grateful that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so tonight, maybe for the first time, help us to recognize just how present and available you are. Help us to begin to trust you in greater measure. Help us to begin to let go of all of the ways we try to control our lives. And trust that following you leads us to a better one. God, because you are with us, help us to experience your hope and your joy and your love and your peace. We're grateful for your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen.